Hey, welcome to 755 is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic. I'm with Eric O'Flaherty, who's out in Seattle, former Braves reliever. What's up out in Seattle, Eric? Nothing, man. Uh, had a little run in with some raccoons this morning. <laughs> I was out on my I was out on my dock and about five raccoons started walking up the ramp. They, they didn't you? see me because I was I was sitting down, so I saw him. I kind of stood up because I didn't want to scare him, you know. And then, then we kind of had a standoff where we just stared at each other for a second. And I was like, "Shit, man!" I, th- I was thinking I might have to just jump in the water. I don't know what to do because they'll attack you. <laughs> we five on one. They, they were gonna—they probably would have messed me up. So luckily, I stood there. We just we stared at each other, and then they just kind of scampered away. But I don't know if we're gonna have a showdown or not. They were chilling, man. They, those things can be rabid, right? Yeah, yeah, they'll mess you up. And it was, you know, it's early morning, so they thought they were out there by themselves, but I was kind of fishing a little bit in the dark. Yeah. And so, you know, they, I kind of startled them, and everybody just froze and looked at each other for a second. So, yeah, I'm, I'm awake this morning. Wow, you were out there fishing in the dark? Jesus, man, you're ambitious. That's is that when the fish bite? Some good stuff. Is that when they bite well and you're bite, Well, I was like, the, the sun was lake. coming up, you know, but the, the animals, they kind of think that, you. you know, we're all sleeping or whatever, so they roam. Little standoff, <laughs> man. Got my blood flowing. Oh, man. Well, we had some things to get the blood flowing uh, on this Braves trip. Sure. Yeah. Certainly in uh, in D.C. Uh, Braves coming off a four and three trip to Philly and D.C. About what you'd expect or want to see out of them. At least you have a winning trip against two teams that are still playing for their wild card lives, you know. So they got they had more to lose than the Braves did, or more to gain, obviously, than the Braves and playing at home. So uh, I thought the Braves handled themselves well. They uh, they they split the four games in Philly, and then won two out of three in DC. Uh, now the magic number is down to three because the Braves were off yesterday, but the Cardinals played and lost at St. Louis. Trimmed that, trimmed another game off the magic number. So the Braves now could conceivably clinch as soon as Wednesday if they beat the Phillies in the first two games of this series that starts Tuesday night and the Nationals lose once more at St. Louis. Or if the Braves beat the Phillies in one of these two games and the Nats lose tonight and then they play a series finale Wednesday afternoon at St. Louis while the Braves play Wednesday night. So. There's a pretty Getting decent close. chance. Yeah, it's going to happen Wednesday or Thursday, I would think, if, uh, you know, in this Philly series. So it's getting very close. Braves are at home for a week. They got three against the Phillies, three against the Giants. So, needless to say, it's going to be clinched before they leave here, uh, before they go back on the road and finish the season with an odd two game interleague series at Kansas City with off days on either side of it, Monday and Thursday, <laughs> play at Kansas City Tuesday and Wednesday. Good chance, though, to, that's that's pretty good timing, though, as far as going into the postseason. They're going to have a little bit of chance to catch a breath there and then finish with three games at New York. And New York, who knows? I mean, if they're playing, still playing that time, at point for something, they're going to be playing the skin of the teeth type thing for a wild card berth, but they got to do a lot of winning between now and then to still be in it. So it could be three meaningless games as far as the – yeah, and the Mets are concerned, and the Braves tuning up for the postseason. We'll see. Um, point is, the Braves have done what they needed to do, despite a rash of injuries and a lot of shuffling and a lot of sticking guys in there that were late pickups and um, overcoming some obstacles. They, I, they've done a they've done a hell of a job, I think. And another obstacle thrown in their in their path on uh, Saturday at Washington, ugly incident. 
Uh, just before we go any further, I wanted to get your thoughts on two uh, two instances actually on this trip. Lost two more players. Have lost, you know, it's been like six or eight guys in the in the last couple of months go down after the first half of the season. They lost. They really had no significant injuries other than one to Ender. But you lost Camargo in uh, in Philly and to a fractured shin after he fouled a ball off of it, which they thought initially just called a contusion, but the next day the MRI and the CAT scan, the CT scan showed a fracture, small fracture. And there's a good chance he's out for the season. He hopes to be back, you know, for the postseason, but that I'd really be pushing it. A fractured shin? I know. I don't yeah. I, you know, they say they're treating it like a bruise, could be three weeks, but I I really doubt it. I don't I just he was on crutches, man, you know, the next day. Yeah. Uh, and then Culberson, man. This was a hard. This was a hard one to watch, not just because he's such a great guy and uh, everybody loves the dude, but he's an important piece of this team and big game pitcher. I mean, big game hitter, known for being a clutch player, both at the plate and in the field. And postseason is where he thrived with the Dodgers and with the Braves. And uh, they're not going to have him for the postseason now. They're not going to have him at all because he is out with multiple fractures on the right side of his uh, face, his cheekbone. And maybe a couple other bones. We didn't get any specifics beyond multiple fractures. We'll hear more today, I'm sure. But yeah, that was an incident. I'm sure everybody saw it Saturday night. Uh, he got hit in the face by a 91-mile-per-hour fastball from Fernando Rodney. The first pitch Rodney threw after he entered the game with two guys on in a 1-1 game. Braves blew it open from there. They played inspired after Snit got Oh man, it was a whole. It was a. It was. It was quite a scene. Snit got tossed because he was furious that they ruled, and I thought it was asinine ruling to say the truth. And I would. Look, I've looked at the replay twenty times, and I'd still say there's no way that he was offering that that pitch, trying to bunt. They say you got to pull the bat back or whatever. There's, there's five different people. You heard five different uh, interpretations of the rule, but. Fact of the matter is, he was trying to get the hell out of the way of the ball. Nothing more than that. But they called it a strike. So when Snit found out he had to have a pinch runner and not a pinch hitter, he was he went apoplectic, man. And he went he he was yelling at the umps. That's a shame. That's a shameful call and all this. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And he was cussing and all this. He got ejected. Uh, and then the Braves played inspired ball from there. Acuna and and. Uh, Ozzy hit back-to-back ropes off of Rodney. And Dave Martinez, who just did not have a good night at all, left Rodney in to face eight batters in the inning, four-run inning, and Braves went from there. But just your thoughts on the whole situation, everybody, everything that transpired. And Dave Martinez, and pulling for Dave Martinez right now because he's in the hospital, man. He had heart palpitations the next day, apparently, and had a procedure yesterday of the catheterization of his heart. So he's not even with the team right now in St. Louis, but Jesus, I know. I mean, I mean, the dude's under a lot of stress for you know his job yeah. and everything else. And then he took a hell of a lot of heat that night because the ump came out after the game, told the pool reporter that Dave Martinez had asked even before Culberson was carted off the field. David Martinez had appealed to the ump to check and see if he it was a strike, if he if he had if he had tried if he had offered at the ball. So when that umpire said that, Dave Martinez disputed it the next day, said it wasn't quite the way it came across, but he didn't clarify as to why it wasn't what the umpire said. But he took a lot of heat for that from Braves fans and from his own fans for leaving Rodney in for the whole inning, which I, de- I just did not understand at all. But what was your thoughts on the whole situation? Man, that was a lot. Um, yeah. 
Well, you know, I've never seen Snit that mad. Um, yeah. You know, it's just for Snit with Snit that just it just it's just another example how much his players, you know, why his players play for him the way they do and, and what yeah. kind of character he is because you know he treats his players like kids and everything. Yeah, um, to what you're yeah, saying. I just thought it was another, it's just another great example of of who he is and his character and and how seeing that passion, man, you can't yeah. fake that. And when was the, the other time he, he was that furious when it, when uh, Acuna got hit? When Acuna got hit, yeah, yeah. You can't you can't fake that. You know that's that's who he really is, and and everybody knows that's that's who's inside of what's going on inside of Snip. But um, the the Dave Martinez thing, man, I think you know sometimes you just you forget it's a game. Yeah. Um, the the pressure the players and coaches feel, you know, during the season, it, it can eat you alive. You know, you kind of get tunnel vision. You're so focused on this mission that you kind of, you know, yeah. you just become completely emotionless, just kind of dead inside in a sense. And, you know, I've hit guys in the head and, and I didn't care. Um, mm-hmm. I knew I should, but I didn't. And I think it's kind of, you know, I hit Chase Utley in the head and he got a concussion. And my reaction to it was just like, you know, damn. I gotta get the next guy. Yeah, you know, that's right. I was so f- I was so wrapped up in the moment and so focused on um, trying to win that game and get my job done that you know I forget I just hit a human in the head. Yeah, and I I think that's kind of what what happened with Martinez was he's just so focused he's under a lot of stress he's probably trying not to lose his job because this team's underperformed and and been knocked out of the playoffs pretty quick a few times. Um, I think he's just under a lot of pressure. He probably realized it was a shitty move um, when he saw how Snip melted down. Yeah, you know he, he he probably feels terrible about it now. And you know, obviously, he's under a lot of stress. The guy had a heart attack. I didn't know that, but he just told me he had a heart attack. So yeah, um, that's that's a good sign that you know he's maybe taking it pretty serious. What's going on right now? Uh, but you know, I think it I think it's a shitty thing to do. But you know, I've been caught up in a moment too like that and. And kind of, and he was just doing his not, job. It was more the timing than anything, yeah. you know. He should have waited till yeah. he was off the field and gone, and the, before they, you know, everything's yeah. clear. Then you go, hey, I know this yeah, is kind of a that. sensitive moment, but can we appeal and see whether you know that something like that? It could have been handled a lot better. But yeah, you know, I can't, I can't judge him because I've, I've been in, I've been caught up in a moment and pretty emotionless yeah. too, and right. just so focused on that task, right. But yeah, there, there was he definitely could have handled it better, you know, yeah. and, and it, it, that's pretty quick. <laughs> the dude's still rolling around on the ground to, to yeah. Want to know I if think his, strikes. I think his thing was that he, he, he said he wasn't his contention, although he didn't tell us. But I think it was that he wasn't actually still on the ground. He was maybe getting carted off, but I don't know. He didn't bother to clarify, so that was kind of odd that he didn't that he would make an umpire look make him look that bad without clarifying it. So. I just thought that. Yeah, was you know, happen. he probably just he probably just did something shitty and feels shitty yeah, about just it. Wanted but it's, at the end, go away. You know, he can't take it back. Um, nah, yeah. And it, I'm sure he felt terrible that night when he sat down. Like, damn, I didn't even care. This guy just got hit in the face. I just wanted that, you know, strike to go our way. But how about leaving you know, Rodney just, in for the whole? Just happens. That guy looked rattled, man. After that, I mean, he he had a look on his face like when when Charlie was on the ground, you could see the look on Rodney's face. He he was concerned because he hit him in the face, not yeah. the helmet, you know, not the helmet. Yeah. He knew it was bad and he looked rattled and he went down and got close to Charlie just to see he was down near him on the ground. And Charlie gave him a thumbs up before he got in the cart, which I thought was really big of Charlie. You know, he gives him a thumbs up like, Hey, I'm cool, man. I understand. But after yeah, it's that, not personal. It's, it's an accident. He never looked the same after that. He looked. He had this look on his face, like, "Oh, what am I doing out here?" And he just left him in it. They didn't even have anybody warming up in the pen after he gives up two doubles. After that, I didn't. I didn't get that yeah. with with September well, rosters they, and all. 
they just, uh, you know, like the Nationals are showing how important a bullpen is. You know, people don't like to give bullpens too much credit sometimes, but right. I think that's, they, I just think they didn't, you know, he didn't know what other options to go with. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you could see, he, you could see Rodney was rattled, but, you know, me personally, I probably would have been fine in that situation. Like I said, sometimes I, you just get that cold. <laughs> not on purpose, man. I mean, it's, it's really not something I'm proud of. I know. You know, I'm not even, I'm not proud of that, but. Yeah. Um, I think once you let yourself kind of go over and check on him and get the thumbs up right, and everything, right, then right. once he kind of went into that emotional mindset, he probably – there's no coming back from it. He probably felt terrible and just gave it up. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's probably thinking about it like the whole main. time. That's what it looked like to Yeah, main. so, yeah, I mean, maybe get him out of there after a hit or two if he looks uh, distraught yeah. like that. two doubles, you know. It's like, okay – He's not, he's not the same. He's not his reg, his usual self. Let's let's move on. <laughs> but that's why Dave Martinez had a heart attack, man. Because he's uh, oh, <laughs> he's man. got you know his his bullpen has has been kind of struggling all yeah. year. He didn't know what to do there, yeah. and and, you and know, I think see the guy's just trying to figure it out. I think to Martinez's credit, man, I think he read the criticism. He had to have heard and probably felt like shit because he probably cared that people were making him out to yeah. be. He said the next morning in his presser, yeah. look, last thing I wanted to be is a jackass. And he knows that's the way he was yeah. being portrayed, and that's the way he came across. So he cared enough. He didn't, you know, do Bill Belichick and go, you know, fuck you all and all that and move on. He actually cared. So anyway, pulling for that dude, man. You don't want to see anybody hospitalized from stress. You know, that's just horrible. No. Yeah, and, it, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's I'm pulling for Charlie too. It's, oh, you know, absolutely. It looked a lot – you can't really say you know hit him in a good spot, hit him in the face, but no. it, at least you know, did hit him in just, the eye. Yeah, he you could have lost. I mean, his I eye. was thinking, man, this guy could have lost sight in his eye yeah, or something. Easily. That was or it broke his orbital just, at least, but it didn't. It broke his cheek. I know that. A bunch of little bones around that, but I don't think it broke his orbital in his eye socket. So that's that's all good. And supposedly he's gonna. Snit said he's gonna avoid surgery, which is. Pretty remarkable to me. You know, Jeff Francoeur got hit in the same way in the minors, and he's got two plates in his face still. Two still plates. Yeah. And, so. you know, I could have seen Charlie hitting, a, you know, a big home run in the playoffs to, yeah. to clinch a series or yeah. anything because he's just been that kind of guy. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a big blow losing his uh, his bat off the bench too. Hey, how about, this, on another note, how about the fact that Dansby Swanson – Got hit in the face uh, before he ever played. You know, right after he was drafted in the minor leagues, he got hit in the face. Uh, he had to, you know, that's why he wears the helmet now. The two handsome dudes that look identical have both now been hit in the face. <laughs> and Jeff Francoeur <laughs> was hit in the face in the yeah. minor leagues. Jeff told me I was doing this. He said he could barely talk after Charlie got hit. He had to gather himself. He's in the booth, you know. He said it took me a minute to get my to just kind of get control of the situation because. He said it was the flashbacks were just flooding me because it was exactly the same thing. He said, I squared a bunt, hit me in the same fucking cheek. He said the same thing happened to him. Yeah. But amazingly, he came it's, back in a matter of weeks, Frank Corday. It's a tough, tough dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just scary in, in general, man. To, to, I mean, I don't know, what was it, 95? Bunting yeah. against up against professional pitching. People wonder why they think it's so easy to bunt because they did it in Little League. Man, it's yeah. like and, – <laughs> and, and Josh said something good, too, that after the game, Josh uh, Donaldson said after the game, asked him about it. He goes, pitchers are taught, and you can, and you can confirm this if it's not true or, or it is. He said pitchers are taught to elevate when a guy squares to bunt to make it harder to bunt. So that's even more terrifying as a hitter because if it gets away from you a little bit and you're taught to elevate the pitch or pitch up in the zone, you know, 
That's kind of yeah, I just I always try to throw a four seamer because a four seamer has a better chance of getting popped up or something. But right, right. I never was really taught to throw like up and in or anything like that. Just kind of throw a strike, right, and you know field your position. But um, it's definitely you, you know that you want when a guy's trying to bunt, you want some ride on it. So right. yeah, you kind of you want it riding up up in the zone because it's more likely they'll pop it up or right. something like that. But you know when you square up like that, there's nowhere you can go. Nowhere. So it's you can't turn the ball's your head. Come right at his face. Yeah. You can't turn that's, your head and hit you inside of the helmet or anything, man. He was just stuck there. Uh, it was scary. I'm glad he's all right. It was flush, too. God damn, he went down. It was like, you know. And then B-Max there, you know. And B-Max watching it. And B-Max, the guy who hit the foul ball that took Luis Salazar's eye out. I was at that game in the minor, you know, in the I remember spring training. That. When Luis, I remember that. You know, Louis went yeah. down like a tree, you know, and just fell, fell on his back and just – went from the top step of the dugout and knocked him unconscious and fell backwards. So scary things, man, hard ball going 90 to a hundred miles an hour or more in that case of that foul ball, probably, you know, it's just terrifying what it can do, the damage it can do. People think, you know, baseball is not a contact sport, so it's not rough like football, but man, that shit don't happen in football, man. You can't lose an eye like that in football. You can't get a, you know, a cheek, bro, your, your eye socket broken when you're wearing a football helmet. You can get brain damage long term, but not an incident yeah, like get, that where you have something terrifying happen like that. Yeah, so, I still take any, my chances on the baseball field, but yeah, it's, rather it's, than uh, a compound it, fracture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think though, you know, you watch even. I don't think people understand how hard the baseballs are. You know, it's yeah. even you watch BP and and parents let their kids try to shag home run balls and stuff. Right, and they're sitting five or six rows up, and their seven year olds down there, you know, right behind the fence and. Kids aren't paying attention. Every day you see some kid get hit in the head, or, or even a you know even a fan like a full grown man just get dropped by a, a home run ball or something like that. Yeah. Once those balls hit you, man, you realize how hard they are, and then you think about taking that thing to the face. It's, I mean, it's it's just scary that you know sometimes you think about how close the pitching mound is and how hard guys are throwing now. Oh yeah, um, there's some damage to be done for sure. So I, I'm just glad you know Charlie. Uh, I'm glad it's not worse. I'm glad he's okay, but. You know, he's got a long road ahead of him. Hey, do you, man, to me, while we're, while we're on this subject, to me, that is a rule that needs to be clarified, changed, whatever. Because to me, that has got to be automatic. When a guy's bunting like that and gets hit like Charlie did, hit in the face, there shouldn't even be a question of whether he offered at it. Because you know once that ball is going towards his face, the man is trying to get out of the way of it. He's not trying to bunt. It's physically, it's impossible for him to be trying to bunt right there. He's going, holy shit, I got to get out of the way of this. So I don't care whether the bat was pulled back. He's trying to get out of the way. That has got to be a hit by pitch and not a strike. There's no way that that should be a strike, ever. Yeah, I mean, if it hits you in the face, it should probably be a ball. (laughs) I mean, it should be a hit by pitch. If it hit me in the face, you know, we're probably going to go to first here. But it, I have, you know, you do sometimes. You see guys get hit um, in the arm or something when they're trying to bunt. Yeah, I, I know. Or they they bunt that ball. That ball's coming at them. You know, well, yeah, and it's right. Hopping in high and tight, and they bunt it. They fall down, and it's a fair ball or something. And everybody's but he laughing, wasn't trying like, to do shit, that. How'd you bunt that? Right? No, he was just. He was I don't like, know oh what he was. Oh my god, he was bailing, he, man. I think you know he just got locked up. You know, you're not expecting it to be. Yeah, you're expecting a major league pitcher to to be able to control the ball and throw a strike there. You know, right, um, right. So you know, kind of getting down in there, and, and you're at the mercy of that major league pitcher too. 
Yeah, and it you know one got away, and it's just yeah. I mean, it's a freak thing. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, there's there's really nowhere he could have gone. Nah. Anyway, so they uh, so when you think about it, that's two thirds of what was a vaunted bench for most of the season. But that's two thirds of it they lost on this trip with Camargo and Culberson. Yeah. And then Matt Joyce, the other third of that. Now they since supplemented and added some other guys like Echevarria and Billy Hamilton. But two-thirds of those guys went down to injuries on this trip. And Matt Joyce is now playing as a starting right fielder against right-handers, you know? So, I mean, it's yeah. really changed the complexion of the team. <laughs> yeah. The good news for me is is how Cakes came back swinging the bat. Oh, you, you had to figure he was going to come back and, and just be Mr. Consistent like he always is. But... Man, he just—it <laughs> uh, was just—it was just typical Marcakis the whole series, just hitting, you know, just staying on the ball and driving balls to left center, yeah. singles, you know, double, whatever. He just—he looked like he didn't miss a beat. Two, two, but no two, rehab games. No rehab games. He faced a minor league pitcher, uh, Connor Johnstone, a guy from here in the Atlanta area. Faced him in you know glorified batting practice. You know it wasn't even really sim games. He just you know took batting practice. He just threw at live speed. But and he knew what he was throwing too. I mean, Cakes knew what he was throwing the pitches. So he went from that one session of that to facing big league pitching after seven <laughs> weeks off, and he got, got four hits. four hits in his first game back. Four and everyone was a rope <laughs> like you said. Line drives up the middle. Yep. He had seven hits in the series. I mean, he was their offensive player of the series. He had three hits in the second, or two hits in the second game. He was he was phenomenal. I mean, that's just ridiculous what he did. And he looked good out in left field too. Made a couple of real nice did catches. He? Yeah, he made a couple yeah, of I real nice he catches. Good. He uh, there was a miscommunication at one point with him and Acuna, and Acuna went was going for a ball and went sliding behind him. Fortunately, they they kind of crossed, and Acuna went behind him was going to try to catch it sliding, and he was blowing him. And Cakes was catching it standing up. <laughs> You could just tell they weren't yeah. they weren't clear on who should get it at that point, but they talked a little bit after that. So, but yeah, so he's in left field now, uh, at least against righties. It hadn't been we have they have not faced a lefty yet, so we haven't seen whether he's going to shift back over to right. And, and uh, Snit said he was going to leave that to Marcakis, um, whether he wanted to shift back to right or not. So <coughs> that remains to be seen. I, I would think Riley's put, put Riley in left. I would think Riley's yeah. going to be the guy now. You know with. Uh, you know, the injuries they've had, and Culberson's out of the picture. And, yeah, and they probably won't face more than a couple of three lefties the rest of the way, you know, until, uh, before they get Ender back. They hope to get Ender back in the last week of the season, but that's not a guarantee, but that's when they're aiming for. So, at that point, it becomes moot because then you have Acuna in, uh, in, uh, in right, and Cakes will stay in left, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. And, and Ender back in center. So, that's what they're hoping to have for the playoffs, and that would be big. But yeah, I thought that I thought Marcakis was there. obviously that and Soroka's bounce back start. I thought were the two most positive developments of the entire trip. Uh, and fortunately, Austin Riley showed some good signs. I thought of uh, you know he wasn't the whiff machine that he was uh, previous to the uh, to the end to the IL stint. You know when you're striking out two three times a game, he actually made contact and hit some balls hard uh, on the trip, especially at the last the last four or five days. Uh, hit some gappers so. That was that was that's a good sign because if he's going to be a, a factor at all in the postseason, you know, then then you know to make the roster, he's going to have to keep doing that the rest of the way. Yeah, it'd be really nice to see him kind of get hot, start swinging the bat like he did when he first came up. Uh, just you know, talk about taking that blow to the bench. Um, yeah, you know, he can really soften that blow with a good couple weeks. 
because you're going to need somebody to come off the bench. You're going to need some big at bats off tough relievers. Yeah, uh, close games and stuff. Um, that that's just why I saw. You know, I think that's the biggest blow of losing Charlie is just you know the postseason. Yeah. Some some big at bat man. He's just he's just got that that yeah. clutch gene. He's just he got does. that ability to rise he to does. the occasion and and get a big knock. Uh, it's you know he hasn't done it as much lately, but it's just been incredible. You know what he did earlier on in the year, last year. The, yeah. the, you just you just expect the guy to come up big, so it's a nice weapon to have off the bench, and it, it hurts losing him. So it'd be good to see you know Riley and you know Joyce keep swinging the bat well because yeah. who knows going to be on the bench in the in the playoffs. But yeah, it hurts losing Charlie for sure. Yeah, it would be nice to be to have Joyce back as a bench guy for the playoffs. You know. Yeah, I think he will be. Yeah, if they get Ender back, he will be. So. Right. Yeah. But uh, I. Just to to follow up on the Snit thing, man, you should have seen him after the game. Um, I don't know if you saw the the interview he did. Uh, Fox, I think, showed all of it. By the end, he was literally fighting back tears. And I mean like three or four times. I counted on my tape. It was an eight-second pause that he had to that he took because he was about just to ball cry. I mean, he was he couldn't hold it yeah. together talking about Charlie. And you see this from it, and guys can't fake that stuff, and guys can't you know, it's just that is he feels like like he like it's his son. He feels like his players yeah. are like his sons. And man, you want somebody to love you as much as Snit loves his players, cause it is genuine emotion there, man. He was crushed, worried about Charlie. They clinched a playoff berth with that win, you know, not that there was ever in doubt, but they clinched a playoff berth with that win. And it was as sad as I've ever seen him after a game. Even more than when Acuna got hit that time, because Acuna they knew, you know, wasn't hurt seriously, and Charlie was still they still didn't know that they have the report yet on Charlie at that point, and he was he was broken up, man. He could yes, barely hold it together. Just, he just does an incredible job of never forgetting about the human element, you know yeah. what what's going on out there. Like I said, it's it's so easy to just get so focused and. Uh, and locked into what you're trying to accomplish personally as a unit, as a team, everything like that, that, you know, when bad things happen to people, they can just be looked at as something that's either in your way or, or something that's helping you. And it's, it's just that simple. But Snit never loses that human right. uh, element. He, he always remembers that these are real people um, going through their, their life, too. You know, they're not just, you know, a prop in, in, in your chess game. Right. Uh, he he never loses that, and it you know it seems like it wouldn't be that hard, but it, it's crazy how often it does yeah. get lost. That you know these are humans you're dealing with, and, and guys going through stuff, and and a, a guy just got hit in the face, and mm-hmm. um, you know he's gonna he's gonna react to that like his his son just got hit in the face, and it's it's one of those things where um, you know even playing for him, he always treats you like a human. He's ne- he never treats you like you know just another damn pitcher that blew a game. He knows yeah, that you feel right. terrible, you blew the game. Um, you know, emotions aren't always the best in baseball. There's there's a lot of times where you got to stuff them aside. But having a manager that's able to tap into that on on cue, you know, anytime he needs to to just kind of feel for his players and support his players, and and the way he has his guys' backs, it kind of brings that back out of you to to feel the same way about him. And be like, man, this guy really does care about me, which is rare because yeah. a lot of times, you know, as a player, you just get you get tossed around different organizations, different teams, and it's it's pretty easy to feel like nobody really gives a shit about you unless you're pitching well or playing well. But with Snit, you know, he never loses that. He treats he treats the 25th man on the roster the same as he treats number one on the roster, mm-hmm. um, and you just you you don't see that as much in the game today. 
And yeah. it's just it's a it's just it's why his players love him so much and, and care about him because they see those little outbursts from him where you're like, holy shit, right. this guy really really cares right. about me, you know. And um, it's just cool. It's just a cool thing for me to see out of him. And, and it just it kind of just hammers down that point we've been talking about all year that he does mm-hmm. treats his players like family. You know, it's it's. It's awesome. As a player, yeah, because that's the family vibe, the chemistry. It starts from the top, man. As a player, I would imagine it's a different respect when you, when you, when you, it's a different, you respect the guy that you fear too, you know, a a great manager who's a hard ass and you respect him and you fear him. But to me, it would be a different when you respect a guy and you know, he actually cares about you. To me, that would be a different thing, especially over seven months, eight months. It'd be a lot easier to play for that guy. It seems when times are rough, you know, when you're struggling, if you know that guy actually cares about you and is not just a good manager. Yeah, and you know the whole the the whole hard ass um, tough guy thing that used to really play well uh, in the game when I came into it, it. You know, with this this generation of players, man, if if it's totally different, they want you to care about them. Um, they're a lot more emotional with a lot of stuff, and yeah, if they if they have a manager they fear or just kind of a dick to them, right. He's just an asshole. Yeah, you know they they don't they don't care about that guy. But when you have a manager that that you feel like really cares about you and you see that side of him. You know, I think there's nothing more motivating than this guy really cares about my future. He wants me to do well. He's bummed out when I don't play well. He's sad when, you know, I struggle, you know, because he, he feels for me. He knows what I'm going through versus this guy just hates me because I suck. Yeah. And then, then they then they hate him back. And that, and that just kind of, it just falls apart in your clubhouse. There's no better time for a manager like Snit, if you ask me, because these players yeah. respond really, really well to, to you know, his, his methods. Yeah. The irony is that the game has gotten younger than ever. And in an age where you've got, you know, the Braves are playing 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, multiple ones. Yep. Uh, and their superstar is – two of them are 21 and 22. The irony is that a guy in his mid-60s is the perfect manager for this team right now. You know? Yeah. A guy who's a baseball lifer. But that that's a credit to Snit more than anything else. Just that he's – just the human being that he is. It has nothing to do with his background, you know? That's just no, it that's doesn't. Who, that's who he is. It's just the kind of character he is. It's yeah. a, he's just he's that kind of guy. He's just a good guy. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a it's not an act how much he cares about his players. It's and I don't know if it's even something you could try to do or try to be or, right. or you couldn't tell yourself it, yeah. you need to be. I, it's just not something it's not I don't know if it's a decision you can make. You know, that's that's who he is deep down inside. Um and it's you know, it's it's not that common in baseball to have these people that you feel like really care about you. So, yeah. I think when players actually feel that, um, they're going to go the extra mile for him any way they can. And the Braves have had two of them here in the, you know, and, and not to you know dismiss like Freddie Gonzalez for instance, but Bobby and and Snit just have a way about them of uh, of making players feel like they're cared about, you know, and respecting the yeah. guy, but knowing that uh, they want to play for him. So. Um, Max Freed is 0-2 with a 12.27 ERA in his past two starts. He's allowed 13 hits, 10 runs, and 7 and a third innings in those two games. And now this comes in a stretch after he went 5-0 with a 2.90 ERA in his previous seven starts. Had 51 strikeouts and 40 and a third innings. Now, I ask you the same thing I asked you last time we talked. You asked about, I asked you about Soroka. Did you think he was going to step up in that game against uh, the Nats? And you thought he well, it was. Soroka was coming off two starts in which he had given up five homers in 11 innings. Totally out of character. And we talked about maybe he's fatigued or whatever. You thought he was going to step up, and he did. 
Do you think the Freed thing is a similar situation as a matter of just going through a little uh, a little rut here is going to happen and that he can he can switch, flip the switch again and get back on track before this season uh, ends? I don't know. Season it's, you know, it's, it, I, I don't know. You, it, you, yeah. have to, you have to watch. And yeah. I think you approach it the same way as you'd approach the Soroka thing is you, you watch him pitch. Um, yeah. And you you have to determine you know is because he's never been here before he's never right. thrown this many innings a right. full season in the big leagues you know the stress is higher in the big leagues if you threw 160 170 innings in the minors versus 170 innings in a playoff race it's it's different stress yeah. you know it's uh-huh. different stress on your body uh, but I think you approach it the same you you watch him if he's up in the zone if he's flat if his curveball doesn't look good uh, you know maybe he is fatigued or maybe yeah. it's just a couple bad starts but right. you got. Two two and a half weeks or whatever. Yeah, you watch his next couple starts and, two, and see how he looks. Yeah, a little less than two. Um, but you just you watch him. You see how he goes about it. And if he's if he's tired, maybe you push him back. If he has a good start in his next one, and you say, "Cool, we're over it," you know, because that was a big thing for Soroka to have that start. Is now you can just say, "All right." You know he'll be good in the big. Uh, he'll be good in a big situation. You know yeah. he, he had a big start. He looked good. He looked like looked himself. Great. He looked. One hit and six he looked unbelievable. Down. Yeah, I mean he was just dotting the ball. His location was back. The movement, everything was sharp. You know maybe he was just fatigued. Maybe he wasn't when he struggled, but he looked pretty damn good in his yeah. last start. So you just you can kind of let it go. I do the same thing with Freed. Just watch him, see how he looks, and and go from there. Yeah. Well, I guess we shouldn't have been too surprised because Soroka's start was on the road. And, man, it's this is no exaggeration. He has been the best starting pitcher in baseball on the road this year. It, he, it's remarkable what the, his disparity in numbers. And this is not a small sample size now. He's 5-3 and three with a 4.18 ERA, 9 homers allowed, and 12 starts at home. You know, eh, nothing special. On the road... He's 7-1 with a 1.35 ERA in 15 starts and only four homers allowed in 93 innings on the road. I mean, that's phenomenal. Yep. It's, <laughs> you know, as a pitcher sometimes, man, there's just – it could just be a thing where he just doesn't feel good at, at, at the yeah. – it can be the backstop. It can be the surroundings, the bullpen yeah. you warm up in. Sometimes at, at certain stadiums, um, you just feel you just feel a little off. You know, you just feel weird. And it, it could be one of those things where he just doesn't quite feel as comfortable and uh, sharp at SunTrust Park, and it just happens to be his home park. Yeah. You know, the surroundings there just don't work for his, I don't know, know what it's called, but kind of how you're, you're, you're getting comfortable and settling in on the mound. Uh-huh. Um, some, some mounds, man, some mounds feel like they're 68 feet. And then you go to another, I used to feel like at Philly, the mound was like 46 feet. You know, I just felt like I was on top of the hitters. Yeah, yeah. And that, that confidence in the way I felt there, every time I pitched in Philly, at least my first stint with the Braves, I, I knew I was putting up a zero. And every time I pitched to Turner Field, I felt that way. But then I'd go to, you know, San Francisco, and I felt like ass every time. I mean, yeah. I had to. I knew I was going to have to battle Oakland. There's yeah. just certain parks where you just feel terrible, and then all of a sudden it's your home park or something, and and you got to battle. It could be it could be that kind of setup, or it could just be a fluky thing. You know, you kind of hope it's just a fluky thing because that's yeah. his home park. But, yeah, Tehran had a whole um, season like that too, where he was terrible. At exactly. Home, so, yeah. But, but yeah, he, uh, he, I did feel terrible throwing at SunTrust Park. I, <laughs> I hated that. Uh, I hated warming up in that bullpen. It looked like it was 90 feet. Soroka said, he, you know, he doesn't really have a great explanation for it, but he said, I don't know, man. Maybe a different environment, places I haven't been. Maybe it gets the adrenaline going. He, he, you know, he didn't really have an explanation, but he's aware of it, you know, of how well he does pitch on the road. But 
I would say it's a pretty good sign. I mean, you, you, if you could be better at one or the other, I would think it'd be better to be on the road because it's probably a yeah. better chance you can figure things out at home, you know, than, than if you just sucked on the road every time you went on the, went on the road. So. Yeah, because it's a new stadium every time. He'll he'll figure it out, you know, whatever's whatever's off or whatever's different. But there's definitely that too, where you know, if you if you have kind of like some bad habits or you know, bad mental mojo, I guess you want to call it, um, in a stadium, yeah. you know, you're aware of that and you feel it, and and it's just you know, sometimes that new fresh vibe of a new stadium is kind of like a fresh clean slate where I'll just start over. But when you've struggled on a mound before, you kind of right. You have a tendency right. to carry some of that with you, and that yeah. you, know, you just don't feel quite as comfortable and, and you know swaggy or whatever you want to call it. You don't have that same yeah. confidence, um, and it, you know it, it can kind of happen like that. Uh, you know, he's got to figure that out for the playoffs. So so. Let me, yeah, let me ask you then. Now, now this is probably that heresy to even consider this, and I, so maybe maybe they, they won't even consider this. But given the disparity in his home road. Do you even dare think about holding him back for game three, or do you got to pitch him in one of those first two games at home? Probably have well, to. You don't pitch want to go to LA. Right. Th- right. Uh, down, you could know. be down. I mean, you could be down two runs, two games, and go 0-2 oh, and yeah. say, hey, uh, yeah, go, exactly. go eight shutout, way to go, but we got to win. You know, but at the same time, if if he feels terrible, if it's one of those things where he says, I just feel terrible on this mound, I hate pitching here, then our <laughs> shit, let's voices, throw you in LA. Or maybe if, you know, he says, yeah, talk to I'm him about it. Yeah. You know, you got to figure the playoffs are going to be a, a big enough kind of, um, you know, atmosphere change the thing where would be, it would kind of reset all that. Right. And the thing is, if he pitches, doesn't pitch till game three, it means he only pitches once if the series goes five games. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you got one in five if, if you do it that way. If you start him game. If you start him or game, game four. Or game four if he doesn't go too long. But that'd be on yeah. short rest, though. And I, I don't think they're do, they ain't doing him on short rest. So you could go Keichel on short rest. If you wanted to, yeah, but you're not going to go Soroka on short rest. Well, if he bombs at home, maybe you would. <laughs> well, yeah, like Fulte last year went two, when it didn't go two, two and a third or something like that in his first game. So he came back in game four. All right, it was yeah. a short start in game one. He came back in game four and they pushed Tehran. Would have would have started game five, but it didn't go five. So, so anyway, yeah, I don't know if it, you know you even consider. It. I don't think so, man. You got to go with your ace game yeah. one. I don't. You can't even. You just. You, He's got well, I don't know. So your ace him. or is Keiko? I mean, his Soroka is overall this year. He's, he's my ace. Yeah, yeah. He's my ace. I he's earned that. He's been the guy all yeah. year. He's, yeah, he's your ace. And then you can, uh, yeah. Okay. Only way I, I guess I would, only way I'd wait and pitch him game two at all would be if you said there's a chance we'd bring Keiko back on short rest and we're not doing that with Soroka. That'd be the only way I'd go game two with Soroka. But I agree with you. Yeah. It's too much. Well, regardless, he's got to. I mean, you, he's got to pitch one of the first yeah. two games. You can't. Yeah, you I can't think risk that, it. You know the. Yeah, you you got to get your ace out there. If only they didn't have home field advantage, he could start. Getting... <laughs> well, they probably they might not against the Dodgers, so that might work out well. That's right. In, game, in the in the NLCS, there you go. <laughs> yeah, he could pitch both games on the road. Uh, that home field advantage is going to come in. Really nice if Chicago happens to pull this thing off and win the division because you do not want to have the the Cubs to have home field advantage because they're a mediocre no. team on the road and almost unbeatable at home. So their disparity is ridiculous. Uh, Wrigley's tough. I mean, it's a tough. It's a definitely. I feel yeah. like it's a home home field. It's uncomfortable. You know, yeah. the the clubhouse sucks, especially for the postseason. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's in, it's inconvenient it's an to, to be bar. in that clubhouse, and yeah, it really is. <laughs> Um, 
So here's the other thing I had. My other question. Can, can, can Mike Soroka, a 21-year-old rookie, win the Cy Young Award now, given Ryu's late-season decline? Or rather, should he win it? I got to say, I really think if he finishes strong in his last two, two or three starts, I think he should win the damn Cy Young. I mean, if you look at the numbers, Ryu now, to me, he was a clear frontrunner until a few weeks ago. But now I think it's Soroka, Scherzer, and DeGrom have got to be the three because Ryu has been that bad. He's been 1-4 with a 7-2-7 ERA in his last five starts. 8.83 opponents average, and they've only pitched him twice in September. There's clearly some issues there. So, I mean, and now the numbers have evened out where where the, the ERAs and all that are real even, and, and Soroka's way ahead, like with war and that kind of thing. So, I, I you know, I think, I think that probably a lot of voters are going to be swayed by the pedigree of Scherzer and DeGrom, both being Cy Young guys and both having a ton of strikeouts. But yeah, he Soroka's pitched as many innings as Scherzer, and he's got a lot lower ERA. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, the question's going to come down to: Do you care about wins and wins and losses or not? Because if you know, it, when I look at the numbers, man, the most impressive season I see is Degrom. He's throwing 190 innings versus yeah. uh, Soroka's right. throwing 164. Right. He's the one of the that, group that's got a lot of innings. Yeah. He's got a lot of innings. He's got the most strikeouts. He's got the lowest, uh, almost the lowest whip of that group. He's yeah, got right. I, you know, Degrom for me, if it's that's the only the only advantage Soroka has over Degrom is he's he's twelve and four, and and Degrom's nine and eight. Where it's that's you know the the thing working against Soroka is going to be those innings, the strikeouts. Yeah. Uh, but he's got a better record, and I still think wins and losses matter to a to a certain extent. Where you know, teams mm-hmm. winning every time you go out there, it's a good thing. But, you know, at the same time, there's not much DeGrom can do. I don't know what more DeGrom could do this season than right. to be 12-4 and four himself. So it's it's kind of like that, you know, that debate of wins and losses. But if I had to give it to somebody, man, I hate to say it, I'd give it to DeGrom. Ryu you still know, has... The, the re- go ahead. The repeats are boring of the, the Cy yeah. Young Awards and stuff like that and guys that already have them. But, yeah. man, his season is... It's that's the best one for me on paper. Ryu still has the majors' lowest starters a year at two three five, but Soroka is second now at two five seven. He's ahead of AL Cy Young candidate Justin Verlander. He's at two five eight. Third best among the NL starters is Degrom's two six one. Degrom's only nine and eight, like I said, but no one really cares. Most most voters don't care that much about one loss records anymore if they know the pitcher's not getting run support and all that. They look at all that. All those stats are available now. Uh, DeGrom's other numbers are there, like you said. Big advantage in innings over the other Cy Young candidates. DeGrom has 190. Ryu has 168 yeah. and two-thirds. Soroka has 164. And Scherzer only has 159 because there's 25 starts due to his two stints on the DL. So, um, Ryu and Soroka have each made 27 starts. DeGrom has 30. Scherzer still has the huge strikeout total going for him. 222 strikeouts. 32 walks in those 159 innings. DeGrom, also huge strikeouts, 239 yeah. with 43 walks in 190 innings. Ryu's got 148 strikeouts, 24 walks in 168 innings. Soroka is not a strikeout pitcher and doesn't really try to be. He has 130 strikeouts, no. 39 walks in 164. Their whips, oh, they're remarkably similar. 
101 yeah. for DeGrom, 103 for Ryu, 103 for Scherzer, 109 for Soroka. And then you go war. A lot of people line up the wars and put emphasis on that. I I don't necessarily do that, especially for pitchers, but a lot of people do. Um, and if you've pitched more starts, you're going to have higher war if you're any good. But DeGrom has the most war. He's at 6.3. Scherzer at 6.0. Soroka at 5.6. Ryu's war is only 4.5, and that's behind a few other guys who could get votes as well that we haven't even mentioned. Strasburg's at 5.6 war, and Corbin, his teammates, at 5.5 war. And also, I don't think he's going to win it. He's not going to finish top five, probably, but he's going to push right outside that. Sonny Gray, dude's got a 5.5 war. He's 10-7 and with a 1.09 whip and a 2.80 ERA at that ballpark. Has 190 strikeouts in 163 innings. So he's had a hell of a year quietly for the Reds. Yeah, that's that's hard to do in that ballpark. Yeah, that's one of the toughest places to pitch. He's not gonna, you know, I don't think he gets himself into the conversation. He'll get some, maybe some courtesy votes, right? I, I don't know, like man. Eight, I mean, ten deep, eight deep, I think. So, it's yeah. just it's hard to it's hard to think Degrom's not gonna. Well, he might not win it, man. Because, but I don't know. I don't know how the voting's gonna go. But throwing those extra thirty innings for me, that's that's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, because the other guys have yeah, all missed time. Yeah, he's been healthy all year. He's he's leading the league in whip and <laughs> strikeouts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, if you want to talk about just dominating, I think for him it's getting to the point where he's just so consistent and he doesn't have a lot of flair. You know, he just does his job and, and shuts up. He's getting to that point where it's just it's not as fun to talk about how good he is. Yeah, yeah, and it's the Mets, you know. It's yeah. the Mets. Uh, if, but don't if, you think New York helps? Oh, yeah, definitely helps. Yeah, for votes, yeah. but but they only have you know two votes for the Mets, two votes for the Yankees. So, not like it right. used to be. It's not like it used to be a huge factor, and it still is with the Hall of Fame because there's a lot of old voters there that are retired and everything. But not so much with these awards. Um, I you know and the Braves have been on TV a lot. Soroka's got a lot of pub. I I, I think Soroka's going to finish top three. I do. He'll finish ahead of Ryu. He might be behind Degrom and Scherzer in some order, but I think he will finish top three now. He needs a like a faux hawk, and he needs more flair. He, you know, he <laughs> doesn't boring. strike anybody out. Nope. Yeah, he's too boring. He doesn't say he's, anything. He just smiles when he comes off the field. But if he has ball two guy, great already, starts, you're kind of already behind on on the sex factor when you're a ground ball guy. So, you know, if, he's got to do something to spice it up. A nice Canadian. If he has two great starts in his last couple of games, though, who knows, man? And the other guys don't. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, a couple weeks could change a lot. Yeah, it has changed a lot for Ryu. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. that, and that said, uh, speaking of Ryu, I think the, or, or speaking of, uh, the decisions on the Braves rotation, the decision is not getting any clearer. I mean, you already said you, you no. have, you have Soroka as your number one. So whether it's Keichel or Soroka, who, who knows, but Fulte has been good enough now for a long enough stretch that you that he's made believers of a lot of us that he's turning that he's figured some things out since he got back from the IL. I think he's almost got to be in your rotation now, doesn't he, for the postseason? I've it's it's tough. You know, the only question for me with Fulte is, you know, can he keep his emotions in check? But but and he has done it, that it's a, it's a, lately. I know it's playoffs are different. Yeah. But the good thing working for him is he's already been on that stage now, and that helps a lot. Yeah, he made two um, starts in the division series. That makes that makes a big difference, you know. Haven't been there before. He'll have a lot better. Um, he'll he'll know what to expect, and you know, I always like, I always root for Fulte, man. He, 
you know, it's he's got the stuff, and it's not it's not a matter of is he going to show up with his good stuff or his bad stuff. As long as he has his slider, he's still going to be throwing ninety five, ninety six. Yeah. Um, it's just can he show up and pitch? Can he can he keep it the same? Uh, can he keep it the same as a regular season start and everything? Uh, I, if he can, you know, he could dominate. He he's a guy that could give you six seven innings of just you know just ten strikeouts and and a shutout. You know, a really strong appearance. It's just you know, can he keep his emotions in check and He's done a lot better job of that since he got called back up. I think yeah. he matured a lot when he was down in AAA. Kranitz um, has done a good the, job with him too, man. Rick Kranitz done a good yeah. job as a pitch coach this year. Yeah, and the way he's thrown the ball, man, I wouldn't be afraid to give him a playoff start. Not if, at all. Let um, me ask you, if Freed has two more starts like his last two and Fulte has two more like his last couple of last five, do you go? Do you still go Freed over Fulte? Shit, then it just to be all about the matchup. Yeah, I think that you'd be, be then you'd be justify. then you'd be level playing field if the team crushes lefties, and Fulty's been hot and Freed's been really struggling. Uh, yeah. It's it's really hard to go in. You know, like we talked about, you can you can lose a lot of your stock with a couple bad weeks. Right, you know, right. You know, not finishing the season and strong that can Freed give your is manager in danger and, of doing that. Yeah, you can. He needs to have a couple good starts just to you know get the heat off him, but. You know, you can lose a lot. Your manager can lose a lot of confidence. Your organization can lose a lot of confidence in you, especially, you know, the sick, the circumstances of, of fatigue being a factor, too. Um, I think Freed will turn it around and figure it out, whatever, yeah. whatever's kind of slowing him down. I, I know so. he takes really good care of himself, takes good care of himself, but um, if you, yeah, I mean, it, that if, could be a toss up. If, if Fulty finishes really hot, I wouldn't, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's easy to go with the hot hand, and, and sometimes you feel safer going with the hot hand. And then the playoffs come around. There's this factor too. I think, in my opinion, if you you, you got Keuchel and, and Soroka, obviously two of them, but and you're going to go four starters because you, you, you can't count on going short rest for that guy. I don't think you got to right. go four starters. So the argument, I guess, would be uh, Freed or Fulty would be better in the bullpen than Tehran would be. Because Fulte and Freed each give you something in the bullpen, potentially. Fulte can go in there and air it out at 98. Freed with that hammer curve and then throw in 97 too. So either one of those guys could really give you something in the bullpen in the postseason if that, it comes to that. And I don't think Teron really would. Well, I think JT's a guy you like to give time to work into and out of yeah. trouble. Um, yeah. In the bullpen, you, you really only have time to work out of trouble. And right. I think JT's really good at... You know, he'll walk two, give up a single, some of his bases loaded, he'll get a pop up and then two strikeouts or something like that. He's kind of got that, uh, yeah. just that ability to work into and out of trouble. And some guys have it, and it's it's tough in the bullpen. You know, you're limited to when you can use a guy like that. If if you come in bases loaded, you know, I don't like bringing uh-huh. a, a guy that's been starting all year, right? And he has to get his first hitter out, right? You know, it, it, that's the difference mainly in, in being in the bullpen and, and starting. I remember the Royals tried to do it against us in the wild card game in 2014. I was with the A's, and they brought uh, Ventura out of the bullpen, and I was just thinking, I know this dude throws 99 or whatever. But he has to get his first hitter out. His base is loaded or, or second and third or something like that. And yeah. Brandon Moss wound up hitting the ball 700 feet off him. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the difference, you know, between a starter always has that that comfort of, you know, being able to work into and out of trouble. So for me, I like overwhelming stuff in that situation yeah. versus uh, a JT who's going to have to kind of get comfortable on the mound, right. make pitches, and, and, right. and find the zone. Especially and, with the way he's struggled in his first inning. You know, especially with exactly. the way he's struggled yeah, in his first inning. And that's that's the comfort he's used to having. So I'd, I'd yeah. much rather prefer, you know, 
Fulte or Freed just getting away with a 96 mile an hour fastball, and maybe they miss their spot and it's up in yeah. the zone, it gets popped up or something, or yeah, or just throwing overwhelming stuff at them because you know they're going to have that and they're going to be amped up when they come in. That could backfire too, but yeah, um, you know, I I think about JT and I wouldn't be afraid to give him a playoff start either. You no, know, I, I, I just see him as a guy that's just a he's just a straight gamer, man, and I, I see him rising to the occasion. Um, you can't really play that he's earned it card, you know, with the, the with the veteran status and the time and everything like that because you know the whole team's right the right. whole team's been grinding yeah. all season I, I don't like playing yeah. that well we're giving him a start because he's earned it that's yeah. that's too big a game but no he's pitched well if it, this year if it, yeah yeah exactly and if, if you come into a situation where the matchup looks good for julio i'm not afraid to throw him out there at all yeah and he could be game four or if they go number one starter on short rest he could be game five you know you could hold him back for yeah. game five so um Either way, it, whatever happens, you've got to like the Braves uh, pitching matchups a lot better than a year ago when we were looking at oh, yeah. Fult- Fulte in his first major league playoff appearance starting game one at Dodger Stadium against Ryu, who was the hottest pitcher in the league at the time. I mean, he was on fire in the second half. Then you had Annabelle Sanchez starting against Clayton Kershaw in game two at Dodger Stadium. You had Newcomb facing Walker Bueller in game three. Newcomb went one, yeah. two and a third innings. And then you had Fulte coming back on short rest and desperation facing Rich Hill in game four. So yeah. that was not good, man. <laughs> that well, was, that's totally different, you know. Yeah, that's, this, is, this is a real different situation now. Ryu struggling. And I didn't even mention uh, Kershaw, man. I tell you what, the Dodgers, I, I don't think, are nearly the, uh, the invincible team that they looked like three or four weeks ago. Not nearly. Because if you look at the fall off of not just for you, but Clayton Kershaw lately has been really mediocre in the last three, four weeks. Um, I don't know if you've even noticed what Kershaw's done. His last five starts, two and three with a 5.08 ERA, 8.96 opponents average, 10 homers allowed in 28 innings. And five starts. He gave up three earned runs in four of those five starts, walked three, which is unheard of for him, in three of those starts, and lasted six and a third innings or fewer in four of the five, including starts with four and five innings. And this is not the same Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I still have a hard time picturing him giving it up in the playoffs. Yeah. I, you know, whatever numbers he's unless, got. Unless he's I, facing I just, the Cardinals. <laughs> right, yeah. It's just, right, yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's, it, he's still Clayton Kershaw. You know, he's, yeah. he's still a guy that's been there and done it before. Where you you got to figure he's going to show up for the playoffs regardless of what numbers he's put up. But, yeah. but it is a good sign for yeah, other teams. A, well, you look at the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. It's not Ryu and Kershaw on fire like, like it were midseason with Bueller and Rich Hill. I mean – that's the last thing you want. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, were loaded at the time. They looked like, well, how the hell are you going to beat them? And now I don't yeah. think it's a given at all. No, it doesn't look like that anymore, and that's a good sign for the Braves. You know, it's to have to have these guys. Now you're kind of debating which good choice you want to make with your rotation. You know, it's you're not picking out shit. How are we going to get through this? You're saying, all right, how do we how do we you know line this up the best? But you know, it's a strength at this point versus last year where it was more of a question mark and there's a lot of inexperience and stuff. You look at it now, man. You got you don't have really for me. You don't have bad choices. There's no. not a guy that you could throw out there no. and be like, oh shit. You know, we we we're losing this one. We gotta you know we gotta win this one because our next two starters are gonna scuffle. You, you know, can, you're looking at 
You could get a lights out start three in a row. Exactly. You can look at those guys. You can look at the four we mentioned. Everybody but Julio. I wouldn't yeah. put him in that. But you can look at those other four and go, if they are on their game, they bring their A game. And we've exactly. seen it from each of them this year multiple times. Yep. If they're on their A game, they can go toe-to-toe, pitch-for-pitch with anybody in this yep. league. Yeah. You know? Maybe not Verlander in the other league or Gary Cole on a great night, but anybody in this league, they can go toe-to-toe. Soroka, you know, at least for seven innings, can pitch with anybody. Yeah, and that's that's kind of – I mean, that's a good feeling to know that, you know, it's it's possible if, if these guys are locked in, you know, they're not a lot of teams can beat them when they're locked in. No, and no. you didn't have that. You couldn't you didn't you didn't see that last year. You needed year some you luck like, last year. Yeah, and I don't feel like that this year. I feel like the other team needs some luck if they're locked in. So Yeah. You know, it, it and, and the bullpen looks good. The, yeah, the bullpen looks they so look as much a, better. Yeah, it's just a different team this year. So, yeah. you know, it's going to be four, fun to watch. First four in the order are twice as good as it was last year. I mean, it's totally different yep. first four. First five now with Nick back. Well, it's kind of, you know, you looked at the team last year and it was almost, you weren't planning on being that good. So you kind of go into the playoffs a little unprepared. Right, where right. This year, the moves you were making at the at the All-Star break this year were, how are we going to win in the playoffs? Yeah. You, you know, yeah. You, you figured you were going to win the division at that point or at least have it, you know, under control. But you made moves to go deep in the playoffs this year with the bullpen versus, yeah. you know, right. last year was like, I don't even know if we're going to win this thing or if we're going to keep this up. Are we fluky? Yeah, you weren't getting uh, it's anything a, it's, from Ozzy and Nick in the second half last year at all. And this year, it's, it's just totally, a totally different, different vibe. Yeah, you got Josh now. You got Ozzy playing his ass off. You got Acuna doing Acuna things. You got Freddie having the best year of his career. Josh Donaldson been huge. You got Nick back now. If, that, if that's any sign the other day of what he is. By the way, that dude came back from seven weeks on the IL in the best shape he's been in. He is lean, man. That guy, he went nuts. Mark during, Yes. He went nuts during his seven weeks and got, I mean, lifted and got even leaner. I mean, he's always in great shape. But you, he's noticeably different, uh, the condition he's in in seven weeks. You know, that used to be the best thing that could happen to me was when I'd go on the DL for 10, 15 days with my back. Yeah. I'd get a chance to just recover. And, you know, that was kind of what saved me in 2011, uh, that that year that, you know, we kind of fell off in September. I finished September strong because I had two stints of, you know, being down six, seven, eight days uh, healing my back and fixing it up. But, you know, I had a chance to kind of get some exercises, get strong again, recover. I'd come back from that 10 days off, and I'd feel like it was, you know, April Uh or or May versus September 52nd. You know, you kind of – so it's probably the best thing that could have happened to Cakes was just to get a little breather because he he likes to play every every day. day. Exactly. And now he can play every day the rest of the way and be fine. Because they got three off days. yeah, so it's, I mean, good for him to, you know, a lot of guys just sit around and eat when they're on the oh DL and then they come back Dude, he, from the DL and they're like, man, why did I get so fat? And I he looks terrific. But he really does. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an opportunity, man, if you look at it that way. You know, you don't want to break anything or get hurt, but He's a you can look dude. at it with kind of a, yeah, you can look at it that positive mindset and get something out of it. Uh, of course, the Braves have to get past the Central Division winner first to even worry about facing the Dodgers. And that's also assuming the Dodgers get past the wildcard game winner in Division Series. And if that's the Nats and they're lining up their three guys, that's not a Who given knows? either. You know, yeah, anything can yeah. happen with their three. If their three all have great starts, then they're really, you're going to have to, you're going to have to beat them, you know, 4-3 if they all have great starts. So, um Let's see. And the Cardinals, if they were to, you know, win the wild card and, and face the Dodgers, they've given Kershaw fits for his entire career. So, 
We'll see the Cardinals. I hate the Cardinals. Their lead is down. <laughs> I don't trust them at all. Their lead is down to a couple of games over the Cubs, and the Cards got a tough schedule the rest of the way. And the Brewers are still hanging on, even though they lost Yelich. They're still hanging in there. So that race well, might come down I, to the I, wire. I'd like to play the Brewers out of all those teams. Oh but, yeah, you know definitely. it's. Um, Matt, the Cardinals, they just they got that magic touch, man. That's the team that I just I'd like to, you know, you don't want to you don't want to face them, but you know it's it's probably going to be them. So you got to find a way to beat them and get past them first. And with you know, you said Flaherty's just that guy. How would demon. you like to face Jack Flaherty twice in a series? He's he'd be the second half Cy Young winner if they gave size for the second half. Second half, he's got a yeah, one oh five ERA, oh seven eight nine WHIP in twelve starts. 99 strikeouts, 19 walks, and 77 innings. He's been on fire. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he'd come in hot. But I like I like Freddie against him. I, I don't mind the Braves lineup uh, matching up against Flaherty. They've done well against um, just, the best pitchers, man. They, yeah, they, they they show up in the big moments. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's going to be fun. Yeah, you, you start talking about the Dodgers, this Dodgers, that. you got to get past whoever you play right, in the first round right. to even think about that. And, and they got to get past the – the Nationals or whoever too, and and they um, haven't won and they haven't won a postseason series since '01. So you know, not that that matters. Playoffs are fun, man. Not any of these guys on this team that weren't even alive then, practically. But right, <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting. So it's going to be fun. We got uh, got a six game homestand coming up, starting tonight against the Phillies, and uh, we'll talk again on Friday. And I think the Braves will have clinched by then. And maybe they'll have a better idea. Maybe the Central will start to be clearing up a little bit. Maybe the maybe the uh, uh, Cardinals can add a couple of games to their lead. Who knows? But yeah, this is a good time of the year. Fun time. Still ninety degrees here in Atlanta. You got so it doesn't feel like playoff weather yet. But Jesus. <laughs> but it's a little Never drier. Starves. It's a little drier though. Fortunately, it scorched my yard. I haven't had to mow it in like three weeks. <laughs> so. All right, man. Well, we'll talk on Friday then. Thanks everybody for uh, for for listening and for following us on Twitter. And I thought I love that uh, tweet you put up. By the way, that ejection, man. I remember that one like it was yesterday in Boston, where Chipper lost his shit after Bobby did. Me God, that too. was awesome. Man, what, that was you were yeah. What did what did Chip say to the uh, ump about his mustache? I remember he told us he said something about nice mustache. By the way, <laughs> he said nice porn stash douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> <I was laughs> nice like, nice you know, porn stash douchebag. <laughs> you know, I was gonna say something, and then he said that, and I was like. I'm just going to let these guys handle this. <laughs> they got this under control. Oh. Another, another ump came and told me to get the hell out of here. And I was like, yeah, these guys are going to, you know, I'll just, I'll go inside. You'll let the Hall of Famers take care of this. Yeah. They, they don't need me out here. I'll just go, you know, have a beer or something in the clubhouse. That was classic. Oh, this guy's man. done. And a great, yep. it was a cool day in Boston. It was just perfect. It was, that was awesome. Anyway. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Look at EOF24 because Eric put that tweet up from that ejection. Go back and look at that. It's funny. And follow me at D. O'Brien ATL on Twitter. And we will be back on Friday. This 755 is real and we're out. Hey there, listeners. We are excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you are going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-host Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. 
You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com forward slash The Lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a The lead. Sports up close.